Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our newest member of the Device Talks podcast family. It's called Medtronic Talks. Our constant search to find new ways to bring you insights in the medtech industry led us to the fine, fine folks at Medtronic. They've agreed to make their senior leaders available to us and to you. In each episode, we'll discuss the opportunities and challenges facing one of medtech's clear leaders, so you'll have an inside view on what makes Medtronic go. We'll ask the questions, Medtronic will provide the answers, and our great network of sponsors makes it all possible. So sit back, hop on a treadmill, take the dog for a walk, whatever you do when you listen to a great podcast, and let's listen to how Medtronic is getting the job done. Let's go. Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Medtronic Talks podcast. It's great to have you here. Our guest today is Bob White. Bob is an executive vice president at Medtronic, and he's also president of the company's medical surgical portfolio. We had lots to talk about, of course, with the medical surgical portfolio business, but we also talked about Bob's big five. What does he look for when he's hiring folks for Medtronic? And we talked a bit about Medtronic's culture, specifically how Bob, who had been a Covidian when it was acquired by Medtronic, by Medtronic worked together to help combine the, the two cultures, which, which ultimately proved to be quite compatible. It was very interesting conversation with Bob about culture, about how to bring two schools of thoughts together. So uh, I know you'll enjoy this conversation. But first, it's time to hear from our sponsor of this episode, Foster. All right, folks, I'm here with Larry Acarulo, the CEO of Foster. Larry, tell us a bit about your company. We're Foster Corporation, and we've been around for 32 years. We are a design developer, manufacturer, distributor of custom polymers for the medical device industry, specifically minimally invasive surgical devices. Our entire organization is structured to support the special needs of companies like Medtronic on the cutting edge of new technologies as it relates to patient care. We'll hear more from Larry Acarulo later in this podcast. For more information, go to fostercomp.com. That's fostercomp.com. Well, Bob White, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks, Tom. Good to be here. So you've had a, a great career in medtech, and I can't wait to uh, pick your brain and get some of the lessons learned uh, through some some really unique experiences. But uh, one thing I'd love to just find out is uh, how did you find your way into the medtech industry? Oh, that's a great question. So what seems now like 100 years ago, <laughs> I started with IBM. And at the time, IBM was just starting to verticalize. So it was this intersection of technology and healthcare. And that began the journey. And that just for the rest of almost now, it's 30 years, it's been at that intersection of technology and healthcare and some really cool experiences at GE and some private equity work and Covidian and now Medtronic. So yeah, it's, it's been fun. What was that GE experience like? We talked with Jeff Martha about that uh, when I spoke with him a few times ago. And You know, I really enjoyed the GE experience. You know, GE back in the day, now this is well over a decade ago, sure. you know, was really an operating company. You know, it means you really understood and developed good operating mechanisms, good way to think about, you know, the processes we do in business from strategy planning to tactical execution to the talent agenda. So it was great. It was, it was a lot of fun. Excellent. So let's talk a bit about uh, what you're currently doing at, at Medtronic. As we've talked about in a few of these episodes, is uh, reorganization has gone on. So what, what, is your, uh, what is your focus at the, at the moment? What company are you, you heading up? Yeah. 
Sure, Tom. So, you know, Medtronic has three big portfolios. So I head up the medical surgical portfolio. And the way to think about that, it's comprised of six global business units that roll up to about $9 billion in size and about have a third of the, you know, 90,000 Medtronic employees. What do you see the end result of this reorganization being? You can't just rearrange things for the sake of rearranging them, obviously. Yeah, no, no, Tom, you're over the right target. Look, the whole purpose and focus of this reorganization was to do what we call acting big and acting small at the same time. What what I mean by that, if you've talked to other Medtronic execs, you probably knew this, is first a real push to decentralization, move our businesses as close to their customers as we can. So, for example, in my business, a certain call point may be anesthesiologist, but that's very different from the general surgeons, right? So just push that as close as possible. While at the same point, let's figure out how we leverage Medtronic size and scale, right? And that can take, you know, shape like if we're doing wafer scale manufacturing, we don't need to think about all these businesses thinking about wafer scale manufacturing, but they should be really thinking about how they get very close to their end markets. So that's what was really the driving force behind this. And how do you, as a senior management in this type of organization, where you're really trying to get your businesses closer to the customer, closer to the ground, how do you help guide them in, in, without overstepping or pushing too hard? Because the whole point is that they're they're running autonomously and they're and they're they're making their own decisions. How do you find that balance? Well, I think it starts time with making sure you get the right people in the chairs, right? Mm-hmm. And so we spend a lot of time on the talent agenda, being really thoughtful not just about the presidents of the operating units, but the teams they have around them. So it starts with, can you get the right people? And then we spend a lot of time intentionally on their development, right? What skills do they need to run these global businesses? And I like to say, I provide them freedom in the framework, right? Provide a framework for their operating environment, but really encourage them. They own the PL. So I really expect them to be able to move up and down and dial the levers that they need, again, through the lens of being incredibly agile and responsive in their end markets, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I think, the secret. We uh, we spoke recently with Linnea Berman and Megan Rosengarten of your surgical robotics space that's following under surgery. I guess my I'm bringing that in because we're, we're exploring the ways that surgical the surgical specialty is, is changing. Right. How do you see this area changing in the future? Surgical robotics is certainly one, but sure. what, what do you see for the next five years, perhaps 10 How do you see surgical specialties developing? Yeah, Tom, look, if you step back and think about surgery, and then you may have covered this with Megan or Linnea, but 60% of the world's surgeries are still done open, right? Mm -hmm. So surgeon, she takes her knife, she cuts you down the middle, puts her hands in, fixes some stuff, and then closes you back up. And so the whole shift to minimally invasive surgery, of which robotic-assisted surgery is a piece of that, I'll come to that. But that's still only 35% of the surgeries. And we know minimally invasive surgery has shorter recovery times, which means less hospital stays, lower infection rates. It's just good, 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 good for the patient, good for the provider, good for the payer. And then you look at it and say, well, robotic-assisted surgery, at the core of it, I think what it does is give a surgeon better eyes and better hands, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what you'd love. And so then you take that a step further and say, well, how about you know, three, four, five, 10 years from now, you're really leveraging artificial intelligence and data and information to guide the surgeon of what's a no fly zone, so to speak. Don't don't cut there or to be able to really accurately identify cancer margins, you know. And so you can do so many new different things um, that we'll do in the future that'll make us look at what we do today is pretty rudimentary, I think. 
No, that's a great point. How does this specialty evolve? I, I'm focusing or thinking again about surgical robotics. I mean, that was something that 20 years ago, it was introduced and it was almost seen by some at least as a, as a hammer searching for a nail, that there was this <laughs> technology that was that the companies were pushing and, and a lot of surgeons supposedly didn't want it, although that's clearly the pendulum has shifted. Who is guiding the future of surgery in your mind? Is it coming from the surgeon? Does industry need to sort of take on the role as visionary and, and, and bring tech in front of the surgeons and say, no, you really need to use AR, you really need to use VR, or you really need to... What role does industry play in, in mapping out the future of the specialty? Now let's take a break from our conversation with Bob White to bring back Larry Acarulo, the CEO of Foster. Larry, you told us at the top who Foster is. Give us more details on what Foster does and how do companies work with you? Every new product development medical device usually starts off with the plastic or the polymer because most of these things are made out of plastic. And it's trying to understand what materials you need. And a lot of what we work with at a company like a Medtronic is working with their engineers so that we can understand what the material needs are and we can custom design, develop, formulate a material specifically for that application. Then we can go into R&D mode, scale it up, and then go into full-scale manufacture. So we can work down into the gram level all the way up to thousands of pounds into production. We're fully ISO 13485 certified. We have clean environment, clean rooms, and all of the infrastructure with the regulatory, the analytical lab to support the needs of these types of applications. What role does industry play in in mapping out the future of the specialty? Yeah, Tom, it's a great question. We really view it as a partnership, right? We'll Mm -hmm. never get in the way of surgeons practicing medicine, but all surgeons want to get better at their craft, right? Everybody wants to get better at their craft. And so you think about, you know, the surgeon training programs now around the world, they're hands-on you know, with robots. And you think about where these surgeons were as kids, they spent time on Xbox and video <laughs> games, right? I mean, they, this is their work, right? right? Yeah. And so, you know, the idea of leveraging technology is just second nature to them. And, and so they love the idea of how they can lean into that. And I know we take the perspective of really designing our technology outside in, which means it starts with them, right? It starts with patient care, how they can get better. And, and so that's where it begins. It'll always be a partnership. But of course, surgeons aren't med tech makers, right? So we have that piece of leveraging the technology that best suits the purpose. That's a great point. I talked to a CEO recently. Well, she was a surgeon turned CEO, but said that she created this, this connectivity company because partly because she was a gamer as a child and she just nice. it was a, yeah. it was a native platform for her. So you're right, yeah. the, the gaming technology. I know you're a big believer in culture and, I, and I've mm. read some of the, the work you've been involved with. What does the, the, the healthy culture for a med tech company look like to create that sort of partnership between industry and, and surgeon? Yeah, you know, I'm glad you touched on it, Tom. You know, when I think about culture, it's important, I think, to think about where it fits in, right? So, you know, strategy defines what we do. You know, mm-hmm. the mission defines why we do it. And we, we can come back and touch on, on the mission. But the culture really defines how we do it. And, and this is so incredibly important. And I, I use this with our team sometimes internally. I think about culture is the high octane fuel in the car, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it really determines both how fast and how far we're going to go, 
And, and, and that culture gets really personal. I, people ask me, well, Bob, what, how do you describe culture? It's like, well, when you're having a backyard barbecue with somebody and I say, what's it like to work for Medtronic? And you know, how you answer that question speaks volumes about the culture, right? And then, you know, so what we did, Tom, is we, we built on a great base. Medtronic has, as I mentioned, a phenomenal mission. It is the North Star. It is our compass. We had a good culture, but we're like, you know, culture is a living thing. We mm-hmm. should be able to take it to the next level. And that's really where our energy was spent. And we, we can spend some more time there, Tom, but it was take something from good to great. I'm a big Jim Collins fan, you know, and I think that was what was really in front of us. So how would you like if you were at that barbecue next to that employee who was asked that question and you were just overhearing, you weren't standing in the circle with them? How would you like to see them? What would you like to hear come from them to answer that question? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things I'd love for them to say. I'd, I'd love for them to say it's, it's a culture that acts boldly. It, mm-hmm. I'd love for them to say it's a culture that fosters belonging and, and voices are heard. I'd love for to say it's a culture that delivers results, but we deliver results the right way and very consistently. And, it, and it's a culture that's, you know, focused on creating a sense of urgency, moving with speed and decisiveness. And, you know, it's a culture that I like to use the word grit, you know, mm-hmm. it's got resilience, right? You get knocked down, you get back up. And, and those are the attributes that I, I would love to have at that backyard barbecue come out, you know, in our colleagues' voices. What, what are you employing currently to sort of foster those, those attributes? Yeah, you know, Tom, I, I think when you look at culture hard, you know, I mean, look, it's symbols, it's processes, it's, it's approaches to doing things. Are you consistent? And so as we've launched this refresh, we call it the Medtronic mindset. And we're really focused on, first, I'm a big believer in role models, Tom. I think, you know, culture is not about posters. Culture is about being able to point to people who do the th- things you want them to do and they do it consistently, right? Mm -hmm. So your peers can say, oh, I want to do what Riley does or I want to do what Katie does because they do it consistently. So this identification of role models, and then we're taking these, what we call Medtronic mindsets out. I talked about, you know, acting boldly, being fearless, you know, finding examples of what that means and then encouraging and reinforcing that through our systems, through our recognition, through our processes. But we know, Tom, that you need, um, when I think about culture, first, you got to be intentional, right? This, you can't be haphazard about it. Two, this is something, well, I'm pleased to talk about it. This is something that's owned by all of us, mm-hmm. right? Because if it just as becomes a, a management thing, it's not going to work. Then I talked about it's got to be tangible. And that's how we're doing this through recognition and, and measures. And then, you know, finally, I think we've got to be able to prioritize and pace it, Tom. And the reason I tell you that is, this isn't a, you know, zero to a hundred in, you know, an afternoon, you've got to be able to prioritize it in a smart way, but then give your employees a roadmap to say, here's the mile markers as we go on enhancing our culture, we're no, we're successful. You see what I mean? So mm-hmm. I can just call that pacing it thoughtfully and intentionally. So we're, we're working hard at that. And, and we're talking about sort of the reorganization of your, your current staff, but obviously at some point you probably already are. You're bringing new people in, so you're searching yep. for, for new people to, to fit into this culture. 
I know you've got some thoughts on on hiring great talent and hiring leaders, and you've got a big five. So, so talk <laughs> me. I want to I want to know about the big five because it's a it's a let's talk about the big five because it's an interesting uh, collection of, of attributes. In, in, a, in yeah, a look, I mean, you know, after thirty years in the game, you kind of hone on what you think is important, <laughs> right? And kind of my my lessons from the journey, so to speak, and. And they're more born out of when I've made mistake hiring people than when I got it right. But through the years, it's kind of it's kind of honed into these five. And I'll talk about each one. The first one's humility. Mm-hmm. And Tom, I look for leaders who are humble because one, they have a tendency to be better listeners. And when you're a better listener, that makes you a better learner, right? So if you couple that humility with it's a privilege to get to do what we do. I mean, we alleviate pain, restore health, and extend life. And that can be you know, my dad, when he was still living, he benefited from a Medtronic therapy. And so humility is a big one for, mm-hmm. for me. The, the second one, as I look for people who are authentic, you know, I just, I don't have any time for politicians. I don't have any time when people want to spin the truth. I think as leaders, we just got to meet people where they are authentically. And so authenticity is a big one. Second one. The third one's confidence. You know this, Tom, because you know this industry inside and out. This is a dynamic, fast paced world we live in. And I expect my leaders to be confident. I expect them to lead from the front. That confidence is, is, is a really kind of big deal, for, big, big deal for me. And then, Tom, and I think this, I've only been at this intersection of healthcare and technology. I expect people who are passionate, right? And man, when I've made mistakes, I, I thought, oh, I can maybe increase his passion around this industry or what we do. And you can't, I can't buy somebody's passion. Mm-hmm. It's just that, it's that deep-seated belief that we can transform healthcare. And, and that is what is just so incredibly compelling to me. And the fifth one, <laughs> one it's kind of related. It's, it's just transparency. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I just, life's too short. I'm the world's worst mind reader. So look, if you're not going to be transparent with me, I will never know what's on your mind. So we're really driving towards this radical transparency. Let's just work the problem together. Long story, but those are the big five. That's what I look for. Those are great, and they and they kind of create a very small ahead uh, of the pin. I mean, to, to be humble and confident. Yeah. How do you, you you balance that? On one hand, you want to you want to show that you're in charge and you can handle things. The other hand, you don't want to come off as knowing everything and not listening. What's yeah. the What's the fine line that they? Well, that they, Tom, you know, I think it's that difference between being cocky and being confident, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think people who are confident have this knowledge and experience. Look, Ben, they're done that a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. But very opening to learning and getting better. I, I think for me, confidence is a little bit of that servant leadership model, which is, look, because Tom, I think about it this way. I ask our leaders that fundamental to their job is to help their people get to a place they couldn't get to by themselves. Because if they could get there by themselves, why do they need you as their manager, right? If you think about it, mm-hmm. well, you've got to be confident. You've got to be confident and, and you know this industry, Tom, when we go through a crisis, you've got to be confident enough to keep a steady hand on the throttle, lead your people through the valley up to the next summit. But I always remind my leaders, you know, there's a reason you don't see trees on the mountaintop. It's because trees grow in the valley, right? And, and it's in the <laughs> valley. It's in the valley where we grow. And look, you got to be confident in those valleys and know that, you know, there's going to be a better, better day ahead. That's great. That's great. So... And the passion. I just want to explore that. So it, yeah. you came from from IBM, from tech, and found your way here. There are others who find their way to med tech. Maybe they wanted to be doctors. Maybe they had yeah. other interests in med. Do you find that passion – does someone 
do you look for someone who's been in med tech for most of their career and you see that as sort of a commitment and a passion to the sector? Or can you find that passion in someone who's maybe spent 10 years in another industry and has found their way to apply for a job at Medtronic? Yeah, absolutely. It's an and, not an or, Tom. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, some of, the, some of our most amazing people, passionate people are inside are those that have gone through with their family members a very difficult healthcare situation where candidly, maybe they just received very poor treatment at an institution and they're like, it can't be this bad. Or someone who has a child with a disability and says, why can't we get a better answer for this? So I don't think you have to have grown up in med tech, but you know, we're different than making shoes and I, nothing against shoemakers. I mean, but, <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> but, Let them get it, their own podcast. Though, that's exactly. They get their own podcast series. <laughs> but uh, look, if you're passionate about helping people live better lives through technology, then Medtronic is an amazing place for you to come work because you're going to work with people who challenge you, but who are bright, who are committed. We don't always get it right. We make a ton of mistakes. But this idea of the intention and the compass around the mission is so true. And, and that's, what, that's why I think people want to come work for Medtronic. Oh, that's great. One thing I wonder, just go back in your past a bit. I'm guessing that the, the Medtronic's acquisition of Covidian where you were was probably one of the more educational experiences. I mean, you know, I reported on it. I write about it. I write the big billion dollar price tag. And then I'm kind of like, okay, let them figure it out. But you were there (laughs) part of the integrate. What was that like coming from the company that being part of the company that was acquired into the company that was acquiring because Covidian was hitting a stride. You had spun out of Tyco. You were finding your place. And then suddenly you were handed this, you know, here, make you, all of you make this work. What was that experience like? Yeah. That's fun. You asked about that, Tom. So, you know, we'll, we'll pull the clock back now. It's been five or six years. Amazing. And you're right. I love COVID. And it was, it was a great culture. It was a culture that had a real performance ethos. You know, I mean, you did what you said you were going to do. You really placed a premium on execution and Medtronic was this amazing patient centric culture And I think the reason the merger worked so well was it brought two strengths together in a pretty unique way, right? You brought this performance edge inside of legacy COVIDian and you brought Medtronic, which has an unbelievable focus on the patient. Mm -hmm. And, And so what this emerged is you could do both, right? You could be both a high performance company and have a great focus on the patient. And I will tell you, Tom, the thing that I think made it stick so well is the mission of Medtronic, which you know has not changed for 60 years since Dr. Robachin wrote it. Sure. People really from Covidian understood how authentic that was and how durable that was. And you could move right into that, all six tenants. And so I, I tell people all the time, Tom, all 90,000 Medtronic employees probably cannot tell you on your podcast, all six tenants, but most of them will tell you the first one to alleviate pain, restore health, and extend life. And that's pretty amazing, right? Because you, you talk to a lot of companies and ask people what their mission are. They're not going to come up with that answer. And, and it's because it's authentic and it's real. And whether in a board meeting in a month, you know, or at the executive committee this morning, we're talking about how does this decision fit with the mission? And so that's what, that's what I think makes it special. And that's why I think the integration works so well. Interesting. Interesting. I just want to talk a little bit more about the, the culture part of, of bringing the, the Covidian and the Medtronic cultures together. Was there a, a melding of the two? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting because right at the time of acquisition, Omar asked me to move to Singapore and run Asia Pacific okay. for the combined entity. So it was absolutely an amazing point in my career because we had a brand new organization of, you know, 6,000 people or whatever it was in Asia Pacific at the time, a three and a half billion dollar business. And I had to form a brand new leadership team, right? And I took leaders from Legacy Medtronic. I took leaders from Legacy Covidian, brought in a few outside people and really sat down and said, what do we want to do? Who do we want to be? You know, how do we not just, you know, take a little bit of Covidian, a little bit of Medtronic, put it in the blender and mix it up. That's, <laughs> God, that's going to give me a culture milkshake or something. <laughs> I said, what I want to do is, is let's really understand what we can stand on. And it really did emerge into these two things of let's keep the performance ethos. Let's, let's make sure we do what we say we're going to do, put a premium on execution and let's really understand how our therapies impact lives and patients. And so that, that really brought the team together in a way that people got it. And if you didn't like it, you know, you, you, you left, but, but, but I think it's been pretty durable. It really has. Excellent. Now it's obviously it, it's worked in a culture milkshake may be a good name of a book. If you're looking <laughs> to write something, well, just going forward again, go search, circling back to your, your business. Where do you want to be? Where do you want this business part of Medtronic to be? We hit upon this a little bit at the start, but where, where do you want to be in, in five years? And, and how different is surgical technology and the surgical business going to look in five years? Do you have a vision for it being vastly yeah, different? Have, or do you think it's going to re- look similar to what it looks like now? You know, Tom, I, I believe things will change rapidly. And, and I think we almost have to deconstruct the med surge portfolio. Sure. So we talked about surgical innovations in the future of surgery and robotics. I won't go back over that ground. But, you know, we also have an incredibly exciting gastrointestinal business. So think about this. Think about this, Tom. You know, GI cancer must be the second, you know, deadliest cancer in the world today. But yet nobody should die from colon cancer, if you think about it, right? Because you could identify polyps early, right? And get those polyps removed through a colonoscopy. But yet in the U.S. alone, there are 22 million Americans who are non-compliant to getting a colonoscopy, which means, you know, they're 50 and above or whatever, and they just don't get one. And the technology we're developing, which is a camera the size of a pill, you swallow it, it takes pictures, it sends, you know, these images up to the cloud, processed with artificial intelligence. And then the most, if you've got an issue, it sends it to your doctor and she looks it on her phone and says, hey, you need to come in for a therapeutic colonoscopy or you know what, you don't, you're good Mm -hmm. for 10 years. And so you just think about how that is going to revolutionize, you know, and then we have a, we have a renal care business and you think about how patients who need dialysis today, it is a very difficult condition, Tom. As you know, you got to go to these big centers three or four times a week. We're developing a disruptive technology that'll bring that to the home. So completely changing how that's done. And then we have a business that really rose to the top in respiratory interventions. Think about the ventilator response. And I think you talked with Ariel, right? So you Mm -hmm. heard the amazing story. A business that really focuses around the ICU and think about that as leading indicators. So anyway, I've got all these big businesses, Tom, but each one of them, I think, has a path to disrupt the industry through the leverage of technology and fundamentally change the way care is delivered. So I'm super excited about where we're going. No, it's, it's, it is an amazing time. Uh, final question. I mean, you, you sort of brought it up the past year. Uh, how do you think MedTech performed during the pandemic, during COVID? And how does that make you feel as a, a MedTech leader and professional? 
Yeah, really proud, Tom. I think when I think about how MedTech responded in the past year, you know, because you talk to leaders across the industry, um, it was amazing. What was even more amazing to me, because MedTech is made up of people, mm-hmm. is how, our, and I can only speak for Medtronic, but how our people supported each other, right? And were there for each other. I, You know, this expression now is pretty common, but I love it. It's, you know, everybody's in the same storm, but in different boats. And, and this idea that during the pandemic, people connected with each other really became a companion for the journey and said, how can we support our patients, our customers, our doctors during this pandemic? And I just saw just acts of heroism. I mean, just unbelievable acts of people doing unbelievable things. The other thing, Tom, that I think that is such a, a durable learning of, of COVID for MedTech is I know in Medtronic what would have taken us months took us weeks, what took us weeks, we'd, we'd do in days, mm-hmm. right? The speed with which you responded to the pandemic because it was so clear and the need was so pressing. My employees tell me, Bob, we don't want to go back. We got to keep making decisions at this pace. We got to keep moving this fast. You know what I mean? And I think there's an opportunity for that. But to the heart of your question, I'm really pleased how MedTech showed up because this is about solving a pandemic. And I think the team did a pretty nice job of that. No, for sure. And, and this will be kind of a, a maybe a softball question, but I, I think Medtronic and others also got, got praise for the way it uh, stood by employees during some of this. I mean, what yeah. was that experience like for you to make sure you, you're obviously patient first, that's number one, mm-hmm. but you got to take care of the people who take care of the people. So what was it like for you to be a leader during this? No, well, thanks, Tom. Your question about standing by our people is, goes right back to our mission. It's the way we started our conversation. One of its 10 and 5 of our mission speaks to the personal worth of every single employee inside of Medtronic. And what we wanted to do is provide an environment where you can realize your potential, work with good colleagues, you know, and solve tough problems. And what our people saw was that, you know, we made the decisions not to slow down our factories because we knew we we're going to come out of this and we wanted to lead our way out of this. We put our people's safety first, their protection, and I know many other companies did as well, Tom, but that was always in the first of our mind. And so we just did amazing things around the world from setting up private relationships with healthcare in Mexico to literally calling every single person in Medtronic in China, you know, every other week who might have been infected and getting mm-hmm. their sense. It was just, it was truly run by our global team in a, in, a, in a way that I think people, I come back to authenticity as one of the big five, people saw that we were authentic, you know, in our actions. And I think that resonated. Excellent. All right. Well, Bob, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for your time and thanks for joining us on the podcast. No, Tom, thanks a lot. It was a big pleasure. All right, we'll wrap it up there, folks. Once again, thanks to Bob White for joining us. Thank you, Foster, for your sponsorship. And thank you to you for joining us on this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. My name is Tom Salemi. I am the editorial director of Device Talks. You can find more of our great products at devicetalks.com. You can also find me on social media. I am on Twitter at MedTechTom, and I'm on LinkedIn Tom Salemi. Please do me a favor and tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast. You can share it on social media. And if you do, please tag me on those uh, on those identities that I mentioned. I'd love to be part of those conversation. Also subscribe. You can find this podcast on all the major podcast channels, Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple. Please subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. That's it. Tune in next time. We'll have another great episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast waiting for you.